you so much, Callie. Callie is the granddaughter of Bill and Sharon Freezy, and we're so thankful to have you guys here and your family here. And uh, thank you for blessing us with that. I hope you've had a great week. We've had, Melissa and I have had a great week. Um, her mom and dad, Jay and Kim, are here with us the last few days, and we've been blessed to, to be with them and uh, to have family around. And I know that I've been blessed to be called part of their family. Um, they are wonderful people, and I hope you get an opportunity to come by and to get to meet them and get to know them. Um, they served with the IMB um, for a long, long time, and so I hope that you get a chance to, to talk with them and ask them about that a little bit. This week, we are in James once again. Um, we are winding down um, our sermon series, though I think from that video, we may have found our next sermon series. I know that would go over big with all of our folks if we did that. Um, and so, but we're winding down this passage in, or this uh, sermon series in James, and what a sermon series it's been. As we have looked at how God doesn't just leave us in one place, how he doesn't just say, okay, you're saved, you're good to go, but rather he continues through the work of the Holy Spirit to transform us into the image of Christ. We've seen how God desires to transform how we approach suffering. We see how God transforms the relationships that we have with other people. We see how he transforms how we look at the word and that we shouldn't just look at it and then turn away, but that it must change who we are and our response to it. We looked at how we transform our tongue and how our tongue is to be an example of what's going on inside of us. And we looked at how he transforms our works as well. And then the last several weeks, we've been looking at how he transforms our wisdom and how he transforms what we see as the struggle between heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom as we go back and forth between the battle in the flesh and the spirit and how he desires to change all of that. And this week, we're going to be looking primarily at the transformation that he makes in our patience. Not only how we're patient, but the transformation of what we're patient for. When I was sharing this uh, sermon title with Barb, Barb, Barb typed it in and looked at me and goes, I don't think I'm going to listen this week. And I kind of laughed because really that's kind of our response when we hear the word patience, isn't it? How many times have you heard somebody say, don't pray for patience? Okay, my response to that is, I don't pray for brokenness. That's usually the one that I'm like, uh, okay, that's painful. But how many times have you heard someone say, don't pray for patience? Because why? Because we know, or it seems to be that when we pray for that, what happens is, is that God puts us in places and gives us opportunities to show patience. And oftentimes those are frustrating, oftentimes those are difficult, and oftentimes they fit, make us feel like we're not in control whatsoever, mostly because we aren't. And so this morning, I want us to take a quick look at this passage in James and look for how we're to be patient and what we're to be patient for. All right, hopefully by this time, or sorry, we're going to be looking, I didn't tell you where we were actually going to be, James 5, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11. For most of you, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because Melissa told me not to, um, but... For most of you, the passage break actually comes after verse 12. But when you read verse 12, it doesn't seem to fit all that great. Um, and so in great humility, not thinking that I'm better than translators or the people that put together your Bible, um, we're going to take that verse and we're going to move it to the conclusion of the chapter rather than talk, putting it with the verses about patience. All right. If you have found chapter 5, verse 7 through 11, hopefully you've done that by now. If you would stand as we honor the word of God as we read it. 
Verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, and Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the chance and the opportunity that we have to come before you and to hear the word. Lord, to take it and to apply it to our lives. Father, I pray that this morning, Lord, that you would remove me from the equation. Lord, I'm, I'm nothing. Lord, my opinions don't matter. My emotions don't matter. Lord, nothing about me is special. But, Lord, what is special and what desperately we need is your word. So, Lord, I pray. Lord, I beg you. Lord, speak through your word this morning. Anoint it. Anoint this message so that we may go out different so that we may go out new. Father, Lord, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. James starts off in verse 7 by saying, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. He gives us, if you read through this passage, it doesn't take you very many verses before you understand what the theme is. The idea here is that we be patient, obviously. But what are we being patient for? That's the first thing that I want us to look at. And in order to understand even that question, we have to look at the word patience itself. And we kind of need to give it a definition. Because for many of us, when we hear the word patient, we equate it with waiting, don't we? And when we hear the word waiting, what we typically typically associate that with is doing nothing. We think of waiting, we think of patience in terms of just sitting around on something. We think of it as going to the doctor's office. I hate this part, okay? You go to the doctor's office and you, you have an appointment for 8 o'clock in the morning and you go and you sit in this waiting room, this room that we've designated for just this purpose, and 7 or 8 o'clock comes, and you're still waiting, and then 8.15 comes, and you're still waiting. You're like, I swear I made an appointment. Like, really, what's happening here? It drives me crazy because there's nothing to do. Like, you can only read People magazine so many times. You can only look for the lost things in the picture before you, people start looking at you weird, okay? Where's Waldo? Only goes so far. But that's what we typically equate with patience and with waiting. But that's not at all what the Scripture is conveying here. What Scripture is conveying here is a different type of patience. Patience here means long-suffering. Or it may mean the opposite of being short-tempered. It's not a do-nothing patience, but rather it is an active one. The idea here is that in your situation or whatever you're going through, that you don't jump to act, okay? And so many of us, that's, that's the initial reaction to things, isn't it? We're given a prompt, we're in a situation where we're, our faith is being tested, where our patience is being tested, 
And our desire is to react. Our desire is to jump towards something. But the idea here is that we must be slow to act. Not that we don't do anything. Not that we totally just throw our hands up and say, I'm done. But rather that we wait patiently. Not not in a way that is lazy. Not in a way that is obsessing over something else. But in a way that gets things done in the meantime. I think for me, the easier, another way to understand it is when you have a goal for saving. You've probably done this. You want to take a vacation or you want to take, um, you want to do retirement or whatever it may be. You want to pay off the house. And so you're saving for that amount. And you have a goal and it's way out there, but you know that it can be accomplished. And so little by little, every month you're doing something, okay? You are waiting for that money to come in. You're waiting for everything to fall into place and little by little every month you're doing something in order to accomplish that goal in order to get where you want to go that's the idea of what's happening here we're looking ahead to a goal that's been setting before us and we're doing what it takes in the meantime to get there the other part of that is long suffering though how many times have you done that and you get distracted okay you're wanting to save up for that vacation you're wanting to save up for retirement, you're wanting to save up for a down payment on a house or whatever it may be, and then the newest, greatest TV comes out. And you're like, oh, that's got curved glass. That makes it better. Oh, that's a smart TV. I have a dumb TV. Oh, that's a Blu-ray player. I need that. And all of a sudden, you get distracted from the goal. You get distracted from being patient. And it's a struggle for some of us because we want that new thing. We want that shiny gold object that is dangled in front of us. And we must be patient. We must look at the goal. So this patience is not a standstill wait, but it's doing what we need to in order to accomplish what has been set before us. But what is it that has been set before us? Let's go back to 7 because I think he tells us there, He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. What are we being patient for? We're being patient for him. We're being patient for his return. The word therefore obviously pulls us back to the chapter or the passage before where he's talking to the rich rulers who are taking advantage of those that are below them, those that he even calls out as murderers because they are withholding wages from those who have rightfully earned it. And James says, in that circumstance, in that difficulty, those of you that are under them, those of you that are experiencing those trials, those of you that are experiencing that suffering, be patient. Don't lose focus of the goal that has been set before you. Don't lose focus on the gift and the promise of Christ's return. Because he is coming. He will vindicate you. He will restore you. He will. He has promised new earth, a new, new heavens. He's promised you a new body. He's promised a place where sin and the destruction that it has brought are gone. They've been conquered. A place without pain, a place without disease, a place without tears. And the question that I want you to think about as we go through the rest of this passage, the question I want you to dwell on this morning is does that get you excited? 
Is there something inside of you that stirs when you think about heaven? Is there something inside of you that is excited about the opportunity to spend eternity with the Creator, to spend eternity with your Savior? Because if there's not, then friends, you need a checkup. There should be something inside of you that longs for home. We've been doing some short trips this week as we, we've taken um, Melissa's mom and dad to uh, St. Louis to experience some things, and as we've taken them to Hannibal to see some different things, as we've given them the 15-minute generous tour of Vandalia. And we've been doing that, and all of those things are fun. All of those things are great. But you know what the feeling is like when you're like 30 minutes away from home, and you're like, man, I just want to be home. Today was great. Today was awesome. We got to see a lot of cool things. We got to have a lot of great experiences. But I just want to be home. You know that feeling? Even when you're on vacation, you're in the most beautiful place in the world. You're on a beautiful beach. It's warm. It's unlike everything that we have around us. At some point during that vacation, you just want to go home. You want your bed. You want your family. You want your friends. You want that experience at home. And that, brothers and sisters, is the feeling that we should have inside of us as we think about heaven and eternity. As we experience suffering, as we experience pain, as we experience even the joys of this life, there should be something inside of us that just wants home. Because that's not, this is not all there is for us. And that's what James wants to convey in this passage. He wants to convey to those that are believers, those that are going through difficult experiences, that there is more to come. That we have a hope and a promise that we should long for. If you don't long for that this morning, how are you ever going to be able to share the gospel with those around you with an excitement and a passion that makes them want to have a part of that? We should long for home. We should long for what he has set before us and that goal that he has given us. James gives us four examples of what this type of patience looks like, what this type of longing looks for. He starts there in verse 2 and the second part. He says, the, See how the farmer waits for precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. The first picture here, the first example that we're given, is to help us to understand that we need to be patient in what we cannot control. This is difficult for us. This is hard, but this is what typically happens as we go through life. We're forced to be in situations for different reasons where we can't control things. That's what makes suffering hard. That's what makes the difficult times difficult, isn't it? Is that often in those periods we can't fix it. We can't do anything about it. And James points us to the farmer. And whenever I talk about farming in front of this church, I always feel like I need to hand the microphone off to somebody else. Like, I'm the dunce in the room, okay? Let's get that clear. But I think we can understand the simplicity of what James is saying here. 
the farmer goes about and he does everything that he can to prepare the ground. He does everything that he can to nurture that seed in the ground so that it will grow and produce. But at the end of the day, he has no control. At the end of the day, he can't dictate the weather. He can't dictate what that seed is going to actually do. He can't tell that seed, I need this many ears of corn out of you. Make it happen. He has no control over that. That's why we have some years where we're like, wow, this was a great harvest. This was amazing. And we have some years where we're like, whoa, that did not turn out the way we wanted it to. And where it's unpredictable. We know some signs of things. We can kind of read into what's going on and kind of get an estimate of what's happening. But even in an age where we don't even have to drive the tractor all the way down the road, but we can push a button and then it then turn around at the end, we still can't have total control over what's happening. We still must trust. And that's what this passage is calling us to. Because in those moments of life when you're going through things that are difficult, in those moments of life when a loved one is going through a disease and you can't cure it, you can't do anything about it. You must trust. You must look to your Father in heaven and know what we've been, the question that we've been asking, that he desires what's best for you and for your family. And that's difficult in those moments when we can't control the outcome. That's difficult in those moments when we can't fix it. I know there are times that as a guy, this is especially difficult. As a guy, we are programmed to fix things. Like things break in the house, and it's like, I got this. I can use my hands. I can accomplish something today. But when my wife comes home and she's had a difficult day at work, not that that happens a ton, but she comes home and she's had a difficult day at work, I want to fix it. But you know what? There's not much I can really do there. I can love on her. I can make her dinner. But in the end, I can't fix that thing. And it drives me crazy. And so I must trust that the Lord has something there that he's trying to teach her, that he's trying to teach me, that he's trying to guide us through. And so we must be patient in what we cannot control and trust and let him have it. But James doesn't stop there. He gives us another example. Skip down to verse 9. It says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So oftentimes when we get in those difficult moments when we can't control it, when we can't take care of what's happening, when we can't fix that thing that is going on, what happens? We try to fix other things. Or we try to, we begin to complain. How many times, I, well maybe not because I know all of you are perfect, but how many times have you had a hard day at work or you've had a hard day in the home and when your spouse comes home or when you see a friend, do you take out your frustration about not being able to fix it on them? It's like, I couldn't fix that situation there, but by golly, I can talk to you. And you unload on them. It happens, doesn't it? It happens in our churches sometimes. There are things that we go through that we can't fix, that we can't take care of, that we can't control, and we begin to grumble about one another. And James says, stop it. 
Don't do that. And he turns our focus away from that which we can't control to that which we can control. Because the reality is is that you will drive yourself crazy. You will drive yourself crazy if you focus on what you cannot control rather than identifying what you can control. The reality is, is that many times we get in these situations we can't handle it, but we forget and we look over that Christ has already put in front of us many things that we can control. We can control our mouth. We can control our attitude. We can control our actions. We've already looked just back in this month, earlier in this sermon series, at our tongue and how we must learn to allow God to control it, to keep us from saying things that are going to bring shame to him and that are going to expose things in our life that we don't want to do. When we use our tongue to lead people away from Christ instead of towards him, God has given us many things in his word that we are to do, that we are to be about. And it's often when we get in those situations where we can't fix it and we get impatient rather than being patient that we forget what we're supposed to be doing and we begin to do a lot of things that we're not supposed to do. So in these situations, we must first learn to trust him for what we cannot control. And then we must learn to identify and do the things that we can control. Watching our tongue, watching our actions, watching our attitude. James continues on to give us another example here. He says as a, in verse 10, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Turn with me really quick to Hebrews. We're going to look at 11, verse 32 verse thir- and 38. Many of you know Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, of course, is the passage. We call it sometimes the Hall of Fame of Faith where the writer of Hebrews goes through and points us to examples of great faith and great actions that God has done through people's faith. But I want us to look here at the end of the chapter, starting in verse 32. It says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail, time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they, were, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens, caves of the earth. Not only must we be patient, James says, in the things that we cannot control, Not only must we be patient in the things we can control, but we also must be patient when no one else understands. He gives us here the example of the prophets, and I wanted to go back to Hebrews to remind us of some of the things that these guys went through, some of the things that these ladies went through as they spoke the truth 
of God's word into the society that they were in. And oftentimes as they spoke, they were misunderstood and they were mistreated. The words that came out of their mouth that were directly from the Lord are not what people wanted to hear. It's not tickling to the ears as the, as the word says in Revelation and in Timothy. But rather they were hard things for people to understand and they didn't want to follow in what God wanted. But these folks, these prophets continued on. They weren't patient in the sense that they threw up their hands and said, fine, you guys do what you want to do, I'm done with you. But rather they were patient, they were enduring, they were long-suffering, and that they understood the goal that God had set before them. They understood the eternity that he had set before them, and they had faith in him, and they pursued it. And they continued to speak the word that had been put in their mouth. And we are the same. As we go through difficult times in our life, as we go through suffering in our life, as we go through those struggles, as we live in a culture where we are growing farther and farther away from the truth of the word, where right is wrong and where wrong is right, we must stand firm. We must patiently proclaim the word that has been given to us. We must speak truth even when no one else listens. Because we have been given a promise of more. We've been given a promise of hope. We've been given a promise of eternity. And we want others to have that as well. And we want them to join with us. And so we must continue to speak. Lastly, we see that we're supposed to be patient in what we cannot control. We're to be patient in what we can control. We're to be patient when no one understands. And we're to be patient when it all falls apart. He ends this passage here in verse 11 by saying, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job is an interesting book. If you've never read it, what we have is this man who is fully devoted to God. He's a worshiper of the one true God. And Satan comes before God and he says, the only reason that this guy worships you is because you have blessed him, because you have given him more. You've made him the mo- one of the most wealthy men, if not the most wealthy men in the world. If you took that all away from him, if you took it all away from him, he would curse you and he would no longer worship you. He would turn away from you. And God, in a decision that I don't fully understand, I'm going to be transparent. In a decision that I don't fully understand, says, I'm going to show you who I am, and I'm going to show you who my servant is by allowing you to test him, by allowing you to go after him. And so Satan does that just that. Satan takes away his children. They die. He takes away his wealth, his income. He takes away the support of his wife. And finally, he takes away his health as he's covered in sores and in pain. And then maybe worst of all, he gives him three friends who don't understand at all what is going on. And they try to say that it's all Job's fault that this has happened to him. And we see through that entire book, Job's struggle for almost 42 chapters with what is happening and why is this happening. But never once 
does he strike out against God. Never once does he say anything that would put him in opposition. He questions. He believes himself righteous at times and undeserving of what has happened. That's, that happens. But Job does not take the advice of his wife when she says, he's taken everything away from you. Just curse God and die. But rather he says, no, I'm under him. I'm submissive to him. Whatever he does, he has a purpose for. And at the end of the book, we see a compassionate God. We see a merciful God who steps in. He sets things right. He sets those friends right. He sets Job right. And then he blesses Job beyond comparison. And we see Job's patience and Job's faith get him through when everything crumbles around us. That's not easy. It's not easy, is it? Some of you are sitting in here, and I'm trying not to look you in the eye. Because I'm going to cry and we're never going to get through this sermon. But some of you are sitting in this room and you're dealing with these difficult issues. You're dealing with what Job went through when life just falls apart. When you have a family member who is sick. When you yourself are experiencing illness. When the job situation just isn't working out the way that it should when you have doubts, when you have fears, so many things go into those situations and everything seems like it's just crumbling around you. James calls us to the throne of God and he calls us to a God that is merciful and compassionate. He remi- we're reminded of James 1 where he says that all good things come down from the Father of lights. We're reminded of what he did for us and that he saved us and that he took care of the one problem that we had absolutely no ability to care for on our own, that he took care of the sin that separated us from him that would have caused us to be in eternity of suffering. He took care of that. He covered that if we will accept him. And James reminds us of the goal that is set before us. He reminds us of the reward that is set before us as we look ahead to heaven, as we look ahead to that hope that we have in him. So we're to be patient in what we cannot control by trusting him, by believing that what he desires is what's best for us, for our families, for our church. We show patience in him when we obey and take care of those things that we can control in those situations. We show patience for the reward that he has put before us when we continue to speak the truth of the gospel into the lives of those around us, even when they don't understand, even when they don't seem to listen. And we show patience when we run to him when it all falls apart when we refuse to give up, when we refuse to strike out against him in anger, and we submit ourselves to him knowing that what he has is what's best. And so as we close today, I have two questions for you. 
as we look in the mirror of Scripture. The first question is, are you excited about eternity? Do you have that longing that we talked about at the beginning? That longing to be with Him, that longing to experience Him in a new way, that longing to be home. Because if you do not, then friend, I ask you, I beg you, search that out. Ask the Lord, why is this not here in my life? Why do I not long for that? Why has that fire gone out? For some of you, you've never believed. You've never asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You've never had that moment where you've entered into a relationship with Him and trusted in Him. For some of you, you don't have that desire because that's not your home. You have no promise of that hope. Today can be that day. Today can be the day when you have that conversation with the Lord. I would love to talk to you about that. So many sitting around you would love to talk to you about that. Today can be the day that you understand the hope and the peace that we're talking about today. For some of you, you've been believers for a long time, and you've just slidden away. You've lost patience. You've been doing this for a long time, or some of you haven't been doing it for that long at all. And we just get distracted by what the world has to offer and all the golden baubles that are around us, and we chase after those things. And we just need God to help us to return to the focus, to return to that moment, to return to our first love. second question is, are you being patient? I don't mean are you doing nothing, but I mean are you long-suffering? Are you enduring? Are you keeping your eyes focused so that you may accomplish what the Lord has set before you? Or have you thrown your hands up and said, I give up. I've worked hard and I'm done. Return to the work, my friend. Put your hand back on the plow. Join with us as a church and as a family as we seek to take the ministry, seek to take the gospel to those in this community, those in this world that need it. I ask this morning that you just deal with it however you're at. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. We're just going to have a time of response. I don't know what God is doing in your heart. I don't know how this word is reaching you. Maybe it's a word of hope for you. Maybe this is a word of encouragement a reminder that there's something greater out before you, then I hope that you'll take this time just to worship Him, that you'll take this time to thank Him for that. Maybe this morning you're being reminded that, man, I haven't thought about heaven in a long time. I don't have that desire. I don't have that longing to be home. And you just need to ask God to to redo that in your life, to bring you back to that point. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, I'm asking you, please respond whether it's in your seat or whether it's up front, whether it's coming and asking me something, talking to me for a moment, whatever it may be, you respond. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll go into that time. Father, we just come before you and I thank you for everything that you give us in your word. I thank you for this book of James that has challenged us, this book that has impacted us so greatly. And Lord, I thank you this morning that as we get towards the end of this book, that you remind us of the hope that we have. That you remind us that this is not all there is, but that before us lays eternity, before us lays heaven, before us lays much more than we could ever imagine or that we could ever hope for. Father, I pray that we as a church 
would be patient for that. Not that we would sit and do nothing, but Lord, that we would be about the things that we can control, about obeying you, about trusting you, about sharing and speaking the word when no one else listens. Father, I pray, please pour your spirit out on us this morning. Pour it out on us this week as we look for you all around us. We pray this in your name.